Amen. Let's look to the Lord and ask God to bless the service today. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and each and every day that you give us. Lord, we've come today to worship you. So not only as we lift up our voices, as we receive an offering, as we listen to the preaching of the word, as the children are ministered to downstairs, all of it, Lord, is an act of worship. For as always, Lord, you are more than worthy of our worship. Yes. So we ask, Lord, that you'd bless in a great way. Be with those who are watching on the live stream. Pray, Lord, that you'd help them to sense your presence there as well. And we pray whether they're at home watching or here today, if someone's here that has never received Christ as their Savior, we ask and pray, Holy Spirit, that you touch their hearts, cause them to realize that without Christ, they're lost and on their way to a Christless eternity in a place called hell. But help them also to realize how much you love them, Lord, that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on an old rugged cross, a cruel cross, and to pay for our sin. This would be the day they place their faith and trust in you. Amen. We ask all this now in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Romans 7. So we continue our series, Good News for a Broken World. Strength for the struggle is what chapter 7 is all about. And the good news is that in the struggle we face in life, Jesus is our strength in that struggle. And as we come to the middle of chapter 7, it's important for us to remind ourselves of what's going on. So at the bottom of the first page of your handout, I did leave the statement from last week on there because it's, this is the important topic of these uh, two of this chapter, and that is legalism versus grace. Legalism versus grace. So, basically, if you remember from last time, that in our Christian life, we are our goal is to be more like Christ, to be growing, to be changing, to be more holy. And so some people would wrongly identify that as legalism. They would say, well, if we're trying to, if we're trying to, um, if we're trying to live better, if, we, if there's things we should do, things we shouldn't do, they say, oh, well, that's very legalistic. Well, legalism is really when we think that we achieve some special standing by our own work or that we can please God by our, by our good works. That's not what we're talking about. So... There's this idea of legalism and grace, and people tend to fall in one extreme or the other, and they'll say, well, I don't, I don't live a legalistic life, so I live a life of grace, and, but then they use that as an excuse to live however they want. And so neither of those two extremes are healthy. But the Bible says the truth is actually this. It's the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ that enables us to change and to be more holy in Christ. And so the whole emphasis last week was this, when we face those struggles, this strength to overcome, it doesn't come from ourselves. So if you've got a habit that you're trying to break, if you have a sin you're trying to overcome, if there's some addiction that has a hold of you, it's not going to be in your own power or strength that you're going to overcome that. It's only going to be through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need his grace. And we said it's not about trying harder, but about trusting him more. Well, we pick up the struggle. It kind of intensifies here in verses 12 down through the end of the chapter. 
So pick it up with me and look at verse number 12. Romans 7 and verse 12. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. The law is holy, the commandment is holy and just and good. Now, if you remember, that's because in the previous context, what Paul was teaching was this, that he thought he was a pretty good person, and then the law came. And what did the law reveal about him? The law showed him that he was what? That he was sinful. And the whole previous verses are saying, hey, the law was working sin in me. We talked a lot about that. But he says, but the law of God, it's good. It's holy. It's, it's a good thing. Now, verse 13 picks it up here. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Boy, those are some very sinful verses. Sin is not a topic that, surprisingly, that you even hear a lot about in churches these days. It sounds to some people very passe, or it sounds to some people very archaic, like, well, sin is something that, you know, ancient people talked about, whereas we talk about psychology and self-esteem and social status, and we even, even in Christian, even in Christian uh, lingo, we have like euphemisms for sin sometimes, don't we? We say things like, well, you know, I'm real, and I'm even using some of them in this study here. We'll say like, we've, got, we've all got struggles. Well, sin, what is struggle with? It's a struggle with sin it, that is destructive in our lives. Or, or we might say that we've made mistakes or uh, we have a past. We have all these euphemisms, but the Apostle Paul, he just gets right to the point, and he says, do you know what my problem is? Do you know what my struggle is? It's all this sin in my life. And I know the law of God, I know the word of God, but when I went to the law, the law couldn't give me any life. The law of God is good, but the problem is this. First point this morning on the backside of your handout that the law is, it's a spiritual law, but we are carnal people. A spiritual law, but carnal people. He says back in verse number 13, in the middle of the verse, he says this, that sin, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good. Well, let me ask you this question. What is the that which is good? In the context here, let's see if we can pick it up. What is he talking about when he says, that which is good? What is it? Anybody know? What is the that which is good? Yep. Yes, it's the law. The that which is good in this, in this verse is the law. And the law was not working life in Paul, but the law was bringing about what? Sin, but and ultimately, sin when it is finished brings forth death. 
The law was bringing death. He came to the law. He tried to be a better person. He tried to reform himself, but then he finds it's just the law just shows me what's wrong with me, and it works death. But it's a good law, the goodness of the law. But the problem is it's a spiritual law, and we are carnal people. Go to verse number 14 now. For we know, we know that the law is spiritual. But I am carnal. Sold, this is an interesting phrase, sold under sin. We have to think about this passage a little bit. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Now, if you study Romans chapter 7, the second half, you'll find that there is a difference of opinion among Bible teachers. Some people believe that what Paul is describing in these following verses is his life before he knew Christ. Other people would say that, well, what Paul is describing here is the spiritual struggle that all Christians face. As I read this, and what I'm going to attempt to show you today, is I think Paul is actually speaking of both scenarios in his life. I think he's describing a condition that he is helpless in, or was helpless in as an unbeliever, but that he is now, uh, he still struggles with as a believer. Let me show you why. You see this statement here in verse number 14, the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Sold under sin. What does that phrase mean, sold under sin? Well, it literally means that it's the servant and master, or the slave and master illustration. So what he's saying is, God's law is good, but it's spiritual. Now, are you, if you are a believer, if you are a child of God, are you currently sold under sin? Do you belong to the power of sin, yes or no? You do not. However, before Christ... And this was unpacked back in Romans chapter 6. Before Christ, Paul would identify as, before he was a believer, he belonged to the power of sin. Sin was his master. And the problem is, he's got spiritual commands, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt. They're good for spiritual people. But he was a carnal person. That word carnal, it just refers to his plain old flesh, his body, his humanity. The Bible teaches that when we are born into this world, we are born physically alive, but our spiritual condition, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That's Ephesians chapter 2. Our spirit. So you're like, well, what's the difference between the body and the spirit? Many people will identify humanity as three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And I think we all know what the body is, right? We've got that solved this morning. Well, the soul would be identified as our self-consciousness, who we are internally. We all know that we're more than a body. But then there's the third aspect of our being, which is our spirit. The spirit is that part of us that was created to know God, to relate to God. We pray in the spirit. We believe in the spirit. Now, before Christ, our spiritual condition is dead. Ephesians 2, dead in trespasses and sins. And so the point is this. 
Paul says, without Christ, I have no spiritual ability to keep a spiritual law because all I have is this body. And so I was sold under the power of sin. But can I share this with you this morning by way of application? The fact is, if you are in Christ, you have been released from the bondage of sin, but you still have your flesh, don't you? You still have your body. And what, does your, what happens, and I think what you're going to see Paul teach here, is this, that, that sin that still is with us, though we don't, it doesn't have full power over us, it's still trying to lay claim on us. Because we once belonged to sin. So sin comes along, and let's get really practical here. You may have had something in your life, you may have had a, uh, a let's just say you had a problem with, with lying. And that sin just grabbed a hold of you, and you would continue to lie. As a carnal person, you are sold. Give me that verse again. As a carnal person, you're sold under the power of lying. Every time the impulse was there, you just succumbed to it. But now you're a believer. You're not sold under the power of those lies, but that old nature tries to come back and that you still belong to me. You're still, you, you still belong to me. And now there's this struggle. Now there's this wrestling that takes place. You see, sin wants to lay claim to my life. It wants to come back. And you may have something, and I may have something in my life, and be careful, that you have had victory over for years and years and years. But so long as you're still in this body, the principle of sin wants to come back and lay claim to you again. And lay claim to me again. That's why we're called to be sober and vigilant because we have an enemy that's trying to pull us back into the power of sin. So he goes on. And now in verses 15 through 23, he talks about the controlling power of the flesh. Look with me in verse number 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate... That do I. Anybody a little mixed up with the I do's, I did, I was, I want? I, you you got to kind of slow that one down a little bit. Paul says, the things that I do, I allow not. What I, what I want to do, I don't do. The things that I hate, I find myself doing. Now, that word allow there, I did a little bit of study on that. It's a little bit tricky to translate. Usually, and you may even have a note in your Bible, the idea here is the, that I don't understand. He says, what he's saying here is, I can't understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. I, this happened with one of my children, and you might be able to remember back with your kids or in your life as a child, when your, your parent comes to you and they said, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? And, the, and they're like, I don't know. Did you ever find yourself doing something and you're literally just like, why did I do that? How did I get here? How did I end up here? There's been many a shipwrecked life where people look back and say, I don't understand how I got here. That's what Paul's talking about in this verse. He says, I allow, the idea of allow not here, it's, it, literally, it's, it can literally be translated, I don't know. The things that I'm doing, I don't know. This isn't allowed. I, like, why is this happening? It's because. It's because of the controlling power of the flesh. Before he was a Christian, 
what would happen with those fleshly impulses? He would just what? He would just do them. But now, even as a Christian sometimes, the question is this. And, and he's going to go on to this in chapter 8. He's going to write about it in the book of Galatians. So the question now as a Christian is, am I going to live after my flesh? Or am I going to live in the Spirit? Am I going to live in the Spirit? So, he's in the flesh. There's these statements. I put these statements here in the flesh. And they're this. I don't understand why. He goes on in verse 15, and basically he says, I hate what I'm doing. Have you ever been there? Isn't that amazing how disgusting sin is in our lives? That you, it entices us, it brings us in, in our lifestyles. It, we're tempted, the Bible says we're tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust, we're enticed. And it also says there's pleasure in sin for a season. So there's things that look attractive to me. And if it wasn't pleasurable, nobody would commit any sins. But we say, you know what? I want to go there. I want to do that only after a matter of days or weeks, months or years. The time frame is irrelevant where we become ashamed of ourselves. And Paul said, sometimes I look at myself and I just hate what I'm doing. That's a warning to the power of sin in our lives. That's why God is so gracious to teach us how to defeat this. The controlling power of the flesh. In my flesh, I don't understand why. I hate what I'm doing. And now he's going to show this, that he's controlled by his desires. Look with me at verse 16. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Yep, I admit that, that the law is good and I'm in sin. Now verse 17. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now that's interesting. Do you think that, that Paul is making an excuse for himself in this verse? Like, well, I just can't help it. This is just, like, this wasn't me. This was the sin in me. Is that his point here? I don't think so at all. I think what you're seeing, I think what you're seeing in this moment is Paul shifting a little bit to describe what his life was like before Christ and now what his life is in Christ. Because in Christ are any of us sinners. Not a trick question. Well, maybe a little bit of a trick question. In Christ, are any of us sinners? No. We are saved. We are sanctified. Can you, can you guys just help me out a little bit? Just settle in a little. Thank you. So, in Christ, we are sanctified. We are made holy. We are referred to as the children of God. I think that's exactly what Paul's saying here is, as a Christian... He finds, himself, he finds himself doing things, and he's like, wait a minute. This is not the spiritual Paul. This is not the Paul who's been saved by the Spirit of God. This is the Paul who's walking in the flesh, who's being controlled by who I used to be. Now we come to this the idea of the flesh versus the Spirit. So as a Christian, you have two you have two opposing parts of who you are. Your spirit 
has been saved and sanctified and made alive in Christ. But your flesh is still with you. It's not been. Your flesh will not be completely saved until you are glorified with God in heaven. There is a day that we won't have to deal with this, these sinful impulses. But for now, we're left with this body and these emotions, but we also have this spirit and the Holy Spirit inside of us to do battle with each other. So it's flesh versus the spirit moment by moment. So verse 17, now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now look at verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing good about who I am without Christ. God didn't save us because he saw something good in us. He saved us because he wanted to put something good in us. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But I do have this desire because I'm saved, because I'm sanctified, to will. In other words, a desire. There is a desire to do good inside of me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law. Now, this is a bit of a this is a bit of a literary device here. We've been talking about the law of God. Well, what he's saying now is, well, I've just found this other law that's active in my life. Almost like a almost like a like there are scientific laws. He says, I discovered this spiritual law that's at work in my life. When I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, another principle in my members, in my body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. How many of you are old enough to remember those cartoons with the angel on the shoulder and the guy with the pitchfork on the shoulder? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's not the greatest theology. Not the greatest theology. But it's not that far off, to be honest with you. Except, it's not an angel. It's, the, it's, it, it's not happening outside of me, it's happening within me. It's not an angel and a guy with a pitchfork. The guy with a pitchfork is actually who? Well, in this account, it's actually me and my old desires. And my old desires are saying this. They're saying, but this would feel so good. But this seems so right. But you should head this way. And it's not an angel. It's actually the Holy Spirit of God inside of me saying, but don't you desire to be so much more? Don't you desire to follow Christ with your heart? And the question is, am I going to, as we've read in the previous chapters, am I going to surrender 
to my own desires or am I going to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me? Which is it going to be? Who is controlling me moment by moment in my life? Who is controlling me? And then which desires? Which are the desires that I am feeding? Which of the desires am I feeding? Now this brings a moment of very practical application as well. If you remember last week, I said this, and I said it again this week. It's not about trying harder. It's about trusting more. But how many of you know there are steps we can take that bring us either closer in faith to Christ or further away from him? You say, what do you mean? I mean, if you feed your flesh, don't expect to be drawn in deeper faith in Christ. This is where it gets really practical. If you are going to consume lots of very fleshly entertainment, if you're going to, if your Netflix is set, set to binge on profanity and sexuality and murder and treachery, and you say, yeah, but it's just entertainment. I'm not actually doing it, okay? But you are feeding those desires. Why are we drawn to some of those types of entertainment? When you think of it, there are things we entertain ourselves with. Like, for instance, I'll just be transparent with you. I'm scrolling through my, my Facebook feed, and now you get pushed a lot of con content on Facebook. And people, all of a sudden, I'm seeing all these clips from movies that I don't watch. I have never would watch the whole movie, but the clip is kind of interesting. And it kind of draws you in. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing these clips for all these old mafia and gangster movies. I'm just being real with you. I'm a, I've got flesh like you've got flesh. And you know what I found myself doing? Watching these clips. Watching another one. And I thought about it. And fortunately, you can change your settings on, on your social media. And you can say, show me less of this, show me less of this, show me less of this, show me less of this. If you don't know that, and you struggle with stuff, either turn the social media off or adjust your settings. But I'm watching it, I thought, I just thought, I like that I'm a maybe overly analytical person, but it made me reflect, and I'm like, why do people like to watch this stuff? Why do we like it? And I thought, you know what? Because we are watching people act out unrestrained impulses. If they want to pull the trigger, they pull the trigger. If they want to curse, they curse. If they want to do whatever, they just do it. And we're like, well, I, could, I would never do that in my life. But our flesh desires that kind of unrestrained, uninhibited. Right? So it's not just entertainment. It feeds desires in us. And it takes us deeper and deeper and deeper. Now, this is a lot. The people, again, I've, I've said this. When you come to these passages, I'm just trying to Apply the scriptures to the world in which you and I actually live. Okay? And not just be all theoretical about it. Because this is what's real. Our culture pushes entertainment on us. It, push, it, 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 it pushes forms of false education on us. It's feeding us thoughts and behaviors and lifestyles. Or it, it might not just be entertainment. It might be associations. It could be that we go with a, with a crowd of people, a group of people that live a lifestyle and 
we just want to stay, you know, we're, we kind of keep just a little space where we go with that crowd or we go with that group, but we don't participate 100%. But there's a pull, there's a desire there. This is where sanctification gets really, really practical. And we have to make decisions in our life, and we have to make decisions for our families to say, if I want to have a spiritual life, I can't just keep feeding the flesh. Because you can consume a little bit of that entertainment and say, well, you know what? I love Jesus just as much today as I did yesterday. But you just keep feeding that, feed that, feed that, feed that, and beware where it takes you or where it takes me. You with me? I mean, it's real. Paul says, I've got these two desires in me, in my mind. He uses the mind and the spirit interchangeably here. In my mind, which is renewed in Christ, in my spirit, which is saved, I want to do what's right, but in the flesh, I would just be unrestrained. So the question is, who am I going to yield to, but then also, which am I going to feed? Now, on the other hand, if you get in the word of God, or you get around God's people, or you listen to godly music, I mean, there is so much... There is, we live in, in, in Western culture, there has never been a more rich time for access to Christian entertainment, Christian music, Christian teaching. That's not all good, I understand that, but there's lots of good stuff out there. You can feed, we, can, we can feed on the word of God through, through preaching, through teaching, through worship, through books. And by doing that, I think, Ethan, you said it's not about what we do, it's about trusting Jesus. Yes, but what you do is going to impact the quality of your faith. So it's not that we're just totally passive. There's an activity that feeds our faith, and we should embrace that, those Christian disciplines in our lives. Which desires am I feeding? Now, let's pick up the text again. So, verse 23, there's this, this conflict, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. Listen, no Christian needs to be in captivity. We don't need to be there, but we can be brought there. In captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And now we finish with this third point, but there is deliverance through Christ. Paul begins by expressing his helplessness. He's just frustrated with who he is in his flesh. And he describes himself. He doesn't say, boy, I really, I need to work on me a little bit. He doesn't say, I, I just I need to spend a little more time on myself. He cries out in holy frustration. And what does he say? He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Not one of the top statements on a Christian greeting card that you'll find. Oh, wretched man that I am. He's, he's frustrated with himself. He's, but what is he expressing? And then he asks this rhetorical question. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? It's got me. It's, oh, wretched man that I am. He expresses his helplessness. But then... The question doesn't end there. There's hope, because hope is in verse number 25. He says, who shall deliver me? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ 
our Lord. There is victory in Jesus. We sang about it. There is victory in Jesus at the moment when you and I say, I've just struggled with this. It's got a hold of me. I just feel so wretched. I feel so wretched. And can I share with you this morning, again, I'm going to get very, very practical. If, if, you, uh, if, if, you are, um, if you are addicted to pornography, you're going to feel wretched. If you are addicted to alcohol, you are going to feel wretched. If you are pursuing, if you are, if you are pursuing sexual relationships outside of marriage, you are going to feel wretched. Not because you have less value, but because sin is destroying you. It's ruining you, and you're going to feel wretched. But the good news is grace. Grace is for wretched people. John Newton knew that when he wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. And you say, I, I, I thought you're always supposed to feel good when you come to, when you come to church. Well, there's this, there's this thing that happens. In the preaching of the Word, sometimes you stop feeling good and you start to feel wretched. Because the Word of God, the law of God, which is good, it just reveals how, how broken we are, how sinful we are, how just messed up we are. But then you can always leave feeling good, but only if you see your wretchedness first. Only if you see your desperate needs first. Because then it's the glory, then the glory of Christ and the good news of Christ is so much greater. You see, grace isn't amazing if it takes halfway good people and makes them a little bit better. What's so amazing about that? You can get a self-help book to take a halfway decent person and make them a little bit better. But grace specializes in taking the wretched. God specializes in taking the worst and the most sinful. That is why, by the way, you'll find churches filled with people. You'll find some of the most on-fire believers among those who had the most awful past because they realized who they were and they found the hope in Christ. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord so then, all right, so where do we go from here? Well, first of all, you need salvation. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, then you have no power to overcome sin in your life. The first step is to believe in Christ, to trust Him, to make the decision, become a true believer in Jesus. And then, where do we go from here? Well, where we go from here is this. He says, I understand with the mind, I'm serving the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So where I go from here is realizing this, I can put no confidence in my flesh. My confidence must all be in the Spirit of God who has changed me from the inside. When he says the mind, he's talking about his mind, his spirit that has been renewed. In fact, a few chapters later, he's also going to mention this. I gave you this verse, Romans 12, and verse number 2, where we're told this, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Holy Spirit 
renews our thinking, renews our decision-making, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our flesh will fail us, but the power of the Holy Spirit through Christ will give us victory. So as we conclude, has there been a time in your life where you have trusted Christ as your Savior? If not, you need to make that decision today. Put your faith and trust in Christ today. And secondly, if you're a Christian and you're struggling, you need to ask yourself that question. Who am I, what am I feeding? Am I feeding the flesh or am I feeding the Spirit of God? Would you please bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's have a quiet moment before we have our closing hymn today. Is there anybody in here you'd say, Ethan, I am not sure. I am not sure that I have truly put my faith in Jesus, but I would like to be sure. I'd like to be I I I like what I hear. I like the Bible. I'm but I don't know if there's been a time in my life where I made the decision to trust Christ. If you, if, you, if you don't know that, why don't you make that certain today? The Bible says that if you will call on the name of Jesus, you will be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you today, in your heart, pray this to Christ? Would you say, Jesus, I do believe I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. But I believe that you died and rose again for me and I ask you to save me. I believe in you, Christ. I put my trust in you today. Would you do that right now if you've never done that? Whether you're in this room or you're watching, make today the day you make sure your faith is in Christ. If you prayed this morning to receive Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, Anybody in this room with no one looking, I'd like to pray for you. If, if you say, Ethan, I wasn't sure, but today I made sure. Would you slip up your hand and put it down? Anyone at all would say, you know what? Yes, today I made sure. Hand up, hand down. Anyone at all would say, just, just quickly, I won't call your name out. I won't embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. If you're watching online, you'd say, yes, I put my faith in Christ today. Would you just send a private message? Pray for me. Christian, if God's spoken to your heart, this is an opportunity to respond. The instruments will softly play. Would you just spend a moment in prayer with the Lord? Confess a sin you may need to confess. Surrender. Be, be, tell the Lord, I'm, you're not going to feed that anymore. Let's spend some time with God. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that grace or triumphs. And I pray that if someone here doesn't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would put their faith in you. Today would be the day that they realize their need of a, of a Savior and that they would confess their sins to you and ask you for forgiveness. Father, for those of us who know you as our Savior, we pray that we live in the grace that you've given us, that each and every day Lord, we would choose to follow the Spirit and not give in to our, the temptations of our flesh. We thank you for the victory that you give us through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. 
If you've been blessed by the message, if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.